And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. It is Thursday, January 7th, and uh, today... Uh, if you want to uh, comment or chat, as always, it is open. Uh, the phone number today, if you want to be a part of the program, BR549, ask for junior samples. If you're not participating live, you can still leave a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. And normally, I am in the first chair but today it's uh, going to be a little bit different first of all let me uh, warn you let you know tomorrow on friday night we will have a special guest on the ranker pit shauna terpsic will be joining us she is the costume designer for the mandalorian and we are also going to have a new tartar sauce tomorrow talking about the holiday episode of Doctor Who. Mr. Harvey will be hosting that discussion, and he joins us along with our guests today, Sybil Lake and Mr. Tom Sizemore. And uh, Mr. Harvey is going to have first chair, and I'm going to get out of the way. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank you for having us. I thought you said tartar sauce like a fish, like a fish sauce. It too. It is. It is a pun. We. It's a pun. We, we have been known to make bad puns here. <laughs> and and we are and we are considering. We are in the process of trying to figure out how we make the 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 gray poupon version of the of the tartar sauce commercial. So. Uh, Very important. That's on the way. Yeah, so. we amuse ourselves a lot. I'm not sure we actually amuse anybody else, but we laugh. So there's that. Again, th- uh, like Jason said, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today, Sybil, Tom. It's it's a real pleasure to have both of you. Uh, of Tom, I'm a big fan of yours from way way back. Uh, I just this is you know the New Year's time. I'm a big science fiction fan. I'm a big I'm a big uh, film noir fan. So Strange Days is one of those movies that I watch every year around New Year's uh, because it's such a great neo-noir. I mean, when I saw it in the theaters way back when, um, it was science fiction. It's awfully real, uh, it yeah. turned out to be. Washington, way too real. Yeah. Yeah, happy, but it's... Uh, happy New Year is what I say. Yeah. I, I robbed that line. Yeah, it is... Uh, uh, I was watching it more for fun when I was watching it on on New Year's Day, on New Year's Eve, but yeah, very much. But uh, yeah, just a uh, a film I really really enjoy. And so again, thank you so much for joining us, Sybil. I have made independent films myself. I'm I've I've got a feature that no one is ever going to see because <laughs> I'm never going to show it to some anybody because. It was not my finest work, but it was a great learning experience. <laughs> Making a feature is not an easy thing to do. There are a lot of challenges. And yeah. casting and you know, getting people like, like Tom to be in the cast is always a great thing when you can bring in someone who, you know, yeah. definitely brings the, the, the quality and passion to, the, to a role. But I've directed short films I've directed a feature. It's tough. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, of course you wrote, you directed, you're in the film, you star in the film. Talk to us yeah. a little bit about what goes into. Okay. Hold on a second. Teddy, please turn that off right now. <laughs> so my babysitter tested positive for COVID. So ah. she didn't come today. So here I am. It's so, the way of things. I mean, I, <laughs> Okay, yeah, so I have two toddlers. I say that like making a film, particularly like post-production, is harder than having two toddlers. <laughs> I've actually never said that out loud, but that's what I like, I know, and I know the truth. And because people give you such like, oh, you're a mom with young kids. People have no idea what like making a feature film actually involves, especially on a lower budget in an independent realm. It is so hard and you just run into so many unexpected challenges. Mm. It's little roadblock, riddle, little roadblock, little roadblock, all sorts of things, you know, and countless. I mean, I don't even, and, and you know, you have to decide at some point, like I'm going to stay the course. Like a few times I set it aside and I was like, you know what? 
not going to do this. And then I was like, you know what? I want to complete it. And so jump back on the horse, you know, and now I'm happy, you know, that I've sold it to high octane pictures and it's being distributed. It's coming out February 2nd um, to Amazon and all the streaming services. And, um, you know, what's also interesting is I wrote the script as more of a thriller and then um, it wasn't working. Like we shot it more as a thriller, but it wasn't working. And so I created some mythology, some new story and changed it more into a horror because in a lower budget realm, it's easier to have a horror, I think, than a thriller. It also raised the stakes. Like initially my character was mostly just threatening, but also like didn't like didn't act on any of the threats. And then we sort of segued into horror when she did things that weren't so good, you know, and that made it horror and it raised the stakes for the story. And that made it actually much more cohesive. So a lot of the storytelling actually ended up happening in editing, you know. Yeah, I've, uh, I've long argued that you basically get a chance to make your film three times when you're writing it, when you're shooting it, and then when you're editing it. Absolutely. Because, um, it changes the, yeah. the the initial script may not be what you end up with, and that no. can be great sometimes, and not always great. But hopefully, you're you're aiming for great. Um, what uh, what actually what what made you even want to make a movie? What because we, there's we, people yeah. talk about going out and making films, and and some people just never do. Some people yeah. actually sit down and make it happen. What actually made you say, I'm going to do this? Um, well, I've made some films. Actually, I went to NYU. I went to Tisch Film School. So I, um, I made a lot of short films there. And then um, I had them screened in different places. I made a, a feature film that um, was really good in my early 20s. And um, it didn't get received the way I wanted. I got really disappointed and kind of walked away from film and TV for a while really, you know, as like, you know, when you're younger, things affect you like, oh, well, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, like I sure. probably wouldn't even behave that way now and make those kind of choices. But at the time, that's like where I went to. And then um, I got cast in a few shows and a commercial and I was like, oh my God, I really miss acting. And then I couldn't really find the parts that I wanted. And I've always been, you know, a writer. So and I've written about seven scripts. So I decided um, to write a thriller you know, because a lot of horror stuff I saw sort of more for teenagers. And I started thinking, you know, I want to make a horror film that's like for adults, you know, like, because that's what I'm always looking for. I'm not looking for like slashers with teens and, you know, blood. That's like not my thing, you know, sure. <laughs> it's just not, you know, and I but I do like I do like the thrillers and I like the horrors that are psychological. And so that's how this started. You know, the story is basically um, Tom is an alcoholic married doctor. And he reconnects with my character who he has a past and we start an affair again. And then he tries to end it. And during a heated argument, I jump out of the window and then I begin to torment him, though it's unclear if I'm alive or dead. I appear in his dreams. And this is um, like some stuff we shot later, the dream sequences. You know, we added some of this stuff. And so I torment him and then I... Um, I let him in on a secret about the long history of dark forces in Central Park. And I use these forces to take revenge on Tom. And then sort of the film is him trying to struggle to get back to his normal life and keep the secret from his wife. And sort of we descend into this nightmare like that. So that's like a nutshell. And the story was initially just a thriller. What's, what's, Tom, what, what, what's really, what kind of sets the movie up? apart from me was that you jump out the window, but she's not, she's nowhere. I, I live in a high rise on Central Park West, but there's no body. Yeah. It appears. And um, I'd be in the question, you know, you, you'd be questioning the audience if it ever really happened. It's all in my mind. And I start, I start, the character starts to question it too, as he begins to drink more. And his, um, his, 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 his own just, Simple reality becomes, you know, where is she? You know, did, did I even see her? Did any of this even happen? And that's one of the things that's done in the movie that Sybil did so well in the movie and cut so well is you buy that, you believe that. That you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I've ever wanted a, a woman, but I was 
arguing with to jump out of a window, but I'm, at the time I might have, might have embraced it, but um, um, it had been horrifying. And um, this happens to this man, and then there's there's no body, but and he, when he's asleep, you know, he's all of a sudden she's uh, wants to have lunch. <laughs> yeah. Tom, so, what what? what, what? Tom, what drew you to the project? I mean, what, I mean, there's always, we, uh, when you're making choices to pick a role, what, uh, what, what are you, what are you looking for when, when you're coming into to looking at a part like this? Um, well, well, I, I've been, um, I love acting and I, it's been the sole pursuit of my, um, my adult life and my life has been to act well. And um, acting has never what's one of the things I love about the job is that it's never done. The work's never done because well, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to get this thing real, right? Well, real isn't always that interesting. We're trying to entertain, you know, we're trying to entertain, but in, in doing so, you know, the audience has to feel that they, 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 Oh, I know a guy like that. I, 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 I can relate to this. It has to be relatable. It can't be um, too far afield of, of what people go through in life and stuff. So when I read a script, I first see do I do I recognize do I recognize the more basic emotions in this movie? Is this something that I know, understand, find find entertaining, and um, can I do it? Do I have the ability to do this? Um, I discovered early in my career that it was just almost a if not more important than the parts I did or the parts I didn't do. I got offered Frank Sinatra in a miniseries that was done a long time ago with Gina Gershon playing Ava Gardner. I was offered the part of Frank. And by Tina, and I got to meet Frank and Tina they took me out to the house and I almost took the part. And um, But I realized I wasn't going to have the time that was going to be as good as I would have wanted to be playing Frank Sinatra because he was the weight, there's all these mitigating circumstances. And they offered me that for the first time ever, I was offered, I think it was, you know, it was a million dollars. And um, it was 1992, it was a really early part of my career. And I ended up taking a part in Patrick 57 instead for a, a very substantially less, less sum of money. And, um, and it was my decision. <clears throat> um, my agents said they couldn't really give me the money was so substantial that they, they didn't want to tell me not to take it, but I could kind of tell that they weren't, they weren't, they weren't really sold on the idea of, of me doing Frank Sinatra. And I wasn't either because I wasn't really even known yet in the movie business. I was in, in a small field, Oliver Stone, a couple of directors. And so I didn't take that part, but that would have been a part I would have taken, but it was the time, the director and those things that in my young brain i was able to realize that this is a martin scorsese i'm not going to have six months to prepare i'm not going to have a shooting schedule that's going to be give me the time to do the, do this right i'm not going to have time to gain weight or lose weight any frank did his whole life right I, oh phil kasnoff and um he was really good well done but it was special <clears throat> and i thought frank sinatra was a very special performer and special part of americana and if they're going to play frank sinatra it has to be done well has to be special. So <clears throat> I look do that I think might be special. And I made it a really simple thing to form it for myself. I was lucky, unfortunately, I was able to work with talented people in the beginning, which was I wanted to work with a certain caliber of director. And um, it became clear to me when I did my first movie, Born on Fourth of July. And then I did something after that, a, a pilot for called Gideon Oliver <clears throat> for CBS that directors, what well, this was all about. This whole thing was about directors. This thing, this part of Gideon Oliver was way bigger than More Than the Fourth of July. I played that number two. Okay, and Gideon Oliver, I was the lead. But it didn't matter. This is the thing, I was so glad it didn't get picked up. I mean, it was Lou Gossett and it would have been me. <clears throat> and um, that, that confirmed for me what I, what I kind of thought was that directors are the final arbiter of what's going to be on that screen. So, um, so I, I would not even even deal with some of these movies that would come across my, I just, no, I'm not going to even read it. Because um, sometimes you read a script and it's really good and it's a big part and it's substantial money, but it's going to be directed by, you know, Felix, Felix uh, Somersault from, you know, <laughs> from first. 
<laughs> I don't, I don't want to work with Felix, Felix Somersault. So um, this part, um, Sybil was a first-time director. Okay, there was nothing to go on there. It was when I talked to her on the phone, her unmitigated passion for the part, for the project, and her unmitigated passion for me being in the movie. And given my recent past, um, I had some issues in my private life that had become public. And so um, I, like, but I was really, and she, I could tell that she thought about me in this part and she was, she knew this material extremely well. And that there was a chance, you know, there was an opportunity here. It was, it was small enough, contained enough, just really just she and I, that we might be able to do something special. And um, I was right. Doing another movie, but you know, she got pregnant and she got pregnant again, and <laughs> things like you know, life, will, life will get in yeah. the way sometimes. <laughs> well, so, so Sybil, that's a, that raises a really good question about directing, and one of the challenge—I mean, directing any project, whether it you know short, feature, anything in the middle—it's a challenge because there's so many moving parts. Directing yourself. I've done that once in my life and I'm never doing it again because I don't, I don't have the skill set to do it. I know I don't, I know it's, I know it's challenging, but what was that like working, not only looking at the, all the moving part pieces you have when you're directing, but also looking at your own performance and looking at your own dealing especially considering it's not only it's the words you wrote as well as yeah. your performance, as well as directing it, the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we had so many moving parts, you know, we had a cameraman who I'd talked to for months and we were all set to shoot and a producer and both of them, one of them hurt their hand, the camera person. So they couldn't shoot the movie. So I had to find somebody really quickly and it ended up working. Okay. Um, and then, um, the producer was not available. So there were, um, those were like really big, massive roadblocks. <laughs> um, so, uh, we kind of had to shoot because Tom had this window of time and I was pregnant and I was beginning to show. So there, there wasn't any option. Like we couldn't push it back for his schedule and basically mine. Um, so we did it. And um, for me, directing and acting, I'm, I'm pretty used to it and I enjoy it. Um, I, what I do find is I can't really do anything else. And so it has to be me taking care of Tom feeling like he's comfortable in the scene that he understands the scene as a character and then me switching. And sometimes I go, like I have a little trick where like I, I do step aside for a minute. Like we set up the frame and then I just step aside and I try to give myself a little, like a little moment where I can kind of prepare. And the times that I do that are always the right choice. Like that's always the right time when I do that, when I actually give myself that time. Uh, I've gotten fortunate when um, I, I haven't given myself that time and I just go right from directing to acting. And I can personally see it um, on the screen. I don't know if other people can. And then um, there's times when I, give, when I give myself that time which isn't long, which is the time I would give to another actor gladly, which is so funny, you know? And so, um, and I sort of had to trust, the beautiful thing is I was working with Tom Sizemore. And so when you're working with a great actor, it's like um, your job's already done. First of all, your directing's job's done. And as an actor, if you're paying attention and you're actually listening and you're there and you're present, your job is also semi done. You know, that's like, that's one of the big takeaways for sure of this movie. And because I've worked with all different levels of actors and I've been challenged in some scenes, but every time, you know, Tom brings his A game to say the least. And so you meet him there and that makes it really easy. So that's like, and those are my favorite scenes for sure between me and Tom, no question. Because initially that was what I liked. You know, I wrote it as initially a psychological thriller. So those scenes between us and the couple stuff is my favorite stuff. You know, I love, I love sort of a love triangle where, you know, I love those kind of stories where, you know, he's hiding the fact that he has an affair. You know, to me, that's like fun drama. Um, I don't know how, 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 I don't know how a director, I wouldn't be able to do it because sometimes I'll do a scene Michael Mann, 
this happened a couple times where the take that I thought was wonderful was not the take that worked the best. I'm an emotional actor. I'm an emotional person. So if I feel like, oh, I got it. I hit it. I hit the ball hard. This, this was it. And he, he would say, um, and I would think we're going to move on. And Michael would say, uh, hang on. Um, let's watch, watch the playback. And I'd be shocked. He'd like walking over and going, okay, let's do this again. Um, that was nice. That was nice. But um, I felt that you were. But... And um, the first time it happened, I went, Michael, I was, that was, that was, I can't do it. What do you mean exactly? And I ended up Robbie Homicide Division. And um, that what I was feeling, what I was doing in the scene may have been felt great to me, but as an entertainment and how it was in a cut, and he did the whole thing in his mind. I don't. I have this this moment here that I'm having this other actor. So um that was the first time I, I really re- realized that there was a, there's a huge gulf of difference here between the director and the actor, what their, what their job is and what they're trying to do. And um, there's a scene in that movie where Robert De Niro, hey, Amy, Amy Brenneman, but we lost her for a minute. I'll continue. Where Judge Amy, um, his love interest, and when she finds out who he really is, he has a scene after he catches her where he says, yeah, that's me. I did that. I, I robbed banks. I killed people, whatever, you know. And I was there on the set when he did, when he did one, one of the takes. And I just thought he had one of my favorite actors. And I was just blown away by this take. Um, just sitting right there as an actor and this, this, this Amy and just did this unbelievable take. And Michael cut it before it ended. And Bob, I could tell, we've become really good friends, was a bit taken back. And he thought that, <clears throat> that it was too good in a way. Basically, it was, it was happening too soon in the movie, this, this, mm-hmm. this, this big emotion. And um, he just wanted it to be less, um, I guess, less important than it was coming across. And so he had Bob pull back on um, the fervor with explaining to this woman that he fell in love with the killer who robbed banks. <laughs> he fell in love with uh, was into metal. You know, this bookstore, he studies metals and um, he started to blow, blow up a safe and she falls in love with him and then the big shootout scene happens and she sees his picture and He's not into metallurgy. He is, but he's into it to kill people, to rob and steal money. And he's able to continue this relationship, and she stays with him, and she's going to leave with him, as you all, we all know at the end of the movie. He doesn't get in the car, and Al Pacino kills him. Um, Michael Mann, best director I've ever worked with, and, um, you know, he had, he, director, whole thing in their head, and the actor's going, an actor's doing a, it's a pie and the actor's just one piece. And I guess that's a minded way of putting it, but that, that's that's the, the difference for me. I couldn't do the whole pie and I'm not even doing the whole pie. It's not what I do well. I do that piece well. Well, I think <laughs> that having, having I, I watched the film last night and one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about both of your performances is that there is and I'm trying to try very, very, to be very non-spoilery here because we want people to watch the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, there were times when these characters were both sympathetic and very unsympathetic. <laughs> and there's a balance between whether or not you can look at either character as a particularly good person or a particularly bad person. And there's times when you sit there and go, I feel exactly this way about this character. And then other times you're going, um, but. And there's an ambiguity there, which is nice because 
yes, it, there's always it's it's always fun to have this is the villain, this is the hero, but most of us experience life a lot grayer than that. There's a lot more shades to individual people. There's a lot more, you know, bad guys are bad guys. Sure, the white hat, black hat thing. Yes, it's it's all very iconic, but most of us don't come in those absolutes. We come, we have a whole lot of, you know, shades of gray in, in the middle. And we, most of us live in those grays for good and for, for good and for ill. Um, you know, being an alcoholic doesn't make you a bad person. No. Being, um, let's say, being un mental health issues <laughs> don't make you evil. Um, you know, there's, there's a range here. And I, one of the things I enjoyed about the film was watching the, those moments where it's like, you know, I am not the biggest fan of this doctor. Okay. But I kind of, all right, I see that. And, and there are times when you look at, at your character, Sybil and go, right. So <laughs> no. <laughs> and other times you're like, okay, but this is going on in her head. You can tell that it's going on in her head. And that actually, I think, is something that is always interesting to see actors performing those gray areas. I mean, yes, it's great. Like I said, it's, I mean, everybody loves to play the bad guy. The bad guys often have the best parts. They got the best lines. They got, you know, the being, being evil is fun. <laughs> but the gray areas as an actor for my, for the times that I've been an actor, those are the fun areas to play in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. First person we've talked to that I've talked to has actually seen the movie, and I am so heartened that you liked it and and saw these things in these this, these performances. Um, that's what's great about the movie. You just described it. That's that's what I movie too. And uh, when I went to loop it, I was what I thought was going on was going on. That this thing was really lifelike in so far as no one was totally right, no one was totally wrong. They both had they both had their reasons, whether or not you agree or not. They were their reasons, and um, that's what life. Sometimes, you know, we, you know your dad's not perfect. He's not Superman. You know, he is when you're seven, but when you're you're 22, you know, all of a sudden, dad is more of a three dimensional person, and um, it's not always great finding that out. Yeah, and um, goes on in this movie. Yeah, um, I'm glad you saw it. I didn't know. I didn't know that you saw it. Yeah, we have. Um, the screeners have just started going out, and um, I'm happy that you enjoyed some of it. You know, it's, you know, it's rough. And my favorite things are by miles our scenes. In fact, I wish we had more. You know, um, and then so you know we ended up doing that rewriting, and we needed to add more. And that's when an editor brought up like you know, you're pregnant, we can add some of these stories. And we also wrote the mythology about Seneca Village, which was really cool. Um, did you know about um, the village before? That, like, I knew was it I, in, in a certain, in a certain vague historical sense, mm -hmm. I, and on the, the primary reason is because a few years ago, I actually went, I was in New York. I'd never been, I got to spend about five days in New York and went down to Central Park um, and got a chance to spend uh, maybe four or five hours there, not a whole lot of time. Oh. Um, but uh, so I had, just because I had never been to New York, it's like, oh, let's look, get out the books and redo the little research, the, tra you know, the, the travel guide kind of thing. Um, and that was really probably my first exposure to that. But it's a, it's a interesting and, and kind of, well, it's a pretty horrifying story when you think about it, although, yeah. you know. I know. It, it, I mean, it's a beautiful park, but there were lives that were destroyed to make that beautiful park. It's like, yeah, um, uh, really? Yeah, totally. I know. Yeah. So, you know, that's, so I took that mythology, I mean, the, no, that history, and I made the mythology because it's a horror film. You know, so I wrote it that my ancestor, who came from Ireland, lived there, and um, she got into voodoo and witchcraft there. And there were, in fact, you know, historically, there were schools and churches and cemeteries. And so being a horror thriller, I harped on the cemetery part, you know, and um, so we created, you know, 
a cemetery there that, you know, still exists in the Outer Bounds area, you know, that I bring Tom to and all that. So, I mean, that kind of added a cool dimension. Um, I love when horror or any films actually are semi-based in historical, however far the, you know, the reach is. I think it just adds a little, another dimension, certainly, you know. Oh, yeah. No question. You get the backstory to that you can build on and to some ways, whether people know about the story or not, whether about the history or not, it gives them a chance to look into that themselves, which is always, films should, personally, I like it when a film lets me go, oh, leave the film and then go look something up because I wanna learn more about it. Totally. Uh, and see if there's more to it um, than just what I saw on the screen because movies are entertainment, but they can teach you a little bit as well. <laughs> I know you guys are, are have have time limitations. Are you guys? Do you guys need to take off? Or do you have a couple of minutes? I have a. Um, I have at least let's one. Qu- I'm sorry. Let's continue. Let's continue. Oh, okay. We can continue. <clears throat> okay. I have a now. I have a uh, part of this is going out on on YouTube, and I do have a question uh, from one of our one of our watchers here, someone who's watching it live, um, and. Uh, Robert says he loved Black Hawk, Hawk Down, and he has a pet question, and it's about <laughs> names, stage names. So it's one of those things with actors, sometimes the name you have is your name, and sometimes it's a name you've chosen because, well, there's a lot of different reasons to choose a name. So his question is, Sybil Lake, Tom Sizemore, are these actually, in fact, your real names? Yes, in fact, mine is. Yeah, I was lucky. My mom and dad decided to call me Sybil. I don't know how I got lucky with that being, you know, wanting to be a performer. Um, my brother and sister are Jennifer and and um, Stephen. I almost forgot. <laughs> and I'm Sybil. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm Thomas Edward Sizemore Jr. He was actually a senior, my dad. So, yeah. Oh, cool. That's awesome, Tom. I didn't know you're junior. <laughs> I didn't know you're junior. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm a junior. Where's your baby? Yeah, they're over there. Oh. Over there. <laughs> Who's there in the film? The babies are in the film. I was actually going to ask you that since, since because uh, I did not realize that you had kids in yeah. In- the real yeah. world um yeah. so i was gonna say oh wait or did your kids actually make it into the film so they did they did and it's funny because you know initially i had written a scene i don't know if you remember well you saw it but um where i uh steal a baby <laughs> where i guess we gave away one little thing and um i had was like well there's no way i'm ever gonna ask anybody to stage that but then once i had my own child and we were reshooting i'm like Oh, we can do that scene again, you know. And obviously, it's safe. Like when the stroller's rolling away, there's no, there's no baby in it. And then right. we cut, and the baby's in there, and I'm taking the baby, you know, um, <laughs> you know. And I, so I steal the baby, and then you know, I bring the baby. <laughs> but and I also would like never ask probably somebody who was really pregnant. So at different times in the shooting, there's times I'm wearing a fake pregnant stomach, and then there's other times when I'm truly pregnant. <laughs> Just crazy. That was later in the editing process. <laughs> so oh, yeah, there's a. Um, I have heard, and and correct me if I'm wrong here. I've heard that it uh, you to for permits and things like that for shooting in New York. Basically, um, there can the hoops you have to jump through to actually shoot there can be pretty sizable hoops, and it's not a cheap process. Yeah. Um, how easy or hard was it to actually shoot in places like Central Park and shoot in New York? What's the, is there, is it, you know, is it the as biggest, hard as you people think, or is it, you know, is it easier than that? The thing is, there's a lot of variables, Like that's really the deal. The permits are, you know, some paperwork, it's annoying and you have to wait and then you get them. Right. But the issue is sound because New York city is a loud place. <laughs> so sound is always an issue. My sound person was having issues all throughout. If there's anything we were always waiting on, it was certainly sound. I mean, I wish we had given ourselves more time. The, the time we gave the sound person, we could have given ourselves to do other things, you know. Um, but it's sound because there are so many planes going over the park. There are so many people walking by. So sound was definitely the biggest issue. And then at night, we were once shut down because we were too loud 
you know, we were screaming. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> not, not great <laughs> to have screaming, like, you know, horrifying screams is scary. So, you know, we were, the police came over then. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily one... we were almost done. Like we were so close to being done. So it was kind of perfect timing. I mean, we, I, I kind of planned it that way that we were going to do a big scream at the end of our shooting. And luckily we got it. Also, same with when Tom, you've seen it. I don't want to actually give that away. So I won't give that away, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, several years back, we shot a film. Uh, we shot a music video here in Kansas City that I directed um, that was oh, cool. uh, set in the 1940s. And we were down in the old industrial part of town, which still has old vintage buildings. And of course, we had people running around holding, you know, revolvers and things like that and the police stopped by to make sure that everything was okay you know just, as they should you know, we we'd we'd called in and let them know that we were doing this but, you know, they sent a car by anyway you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh my completely God. understand they they hung around for a while and watched the shoot and, uh, yeah <laughs> so how much and, and because just because you see something being shot in a location on screen doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that's where you shot it. Was all the stuff in Central Park actually shot in yeah. Central Park or was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We shot um, actually way more than I planned in the park. Um, I had planned on actually moving. We had a scene where I was digging a hole and we were going to do that in New Jersey. And then we, we couldn't really even, it was late. We were behind schedule. We couldn't move everybody there. It was just infeasible to like move everybody to another state and everything. So we actually ended up digging a hole in the park. <laughs> <laughs> and since I realized how we had actually planned that somebody would dig, there was a hole halfway digged in Doug in um, Central Park. I mean, in, in New Jersey. And so uh, we had to change the scene and it was interesting because in the moment all we had to do was change a few lines and then the scene worked. Tom says to my character, you don't actually think you can dig a hole, do you? And so that kind of solved the problem because in fact, like I probably couldn't dig a hole, <laughs> a big grave, you know, it'd be really hard. So it kind of just moved the scene away from the hole <laughs> and became again about us, which is better. So was that, that improv that? Yeah. Let yeah, you did. I didn't how difficult it would be to dig a hole for a grave until that scene. Yeah. And I, I, and I realized, like, if you were to kill somebody, God forbid, I mean, just to even give them a burial, which is what you really want to get rid of. The, I mean, just the, the whole notion of, like, getting rid of the body gave rise to me going, you can't even dig. You're not going to be able to even dig a grave and dig a hole in essential power. You're going to do this. On a, on a purely practical level, um, my daughter and I actually did dig a grave for a film I shot about 12 years ago. Um, we got about three feet down and it was close enough because, um, and it took hours. It took it for folks, if you ever feel the need to dispose of a body, um, digging a grave is not as easy as it looks or sounds in the movies. Trust me. Uh, been there, done that. Story too. I had to dig a grave at a treatment center for when I was going through this uh, narc narcotics problem by a, one my counselor who had me dig a grave with a spoon. I was gonna be there. I was gonna be there for six months, and she it was my assignment. A grave. Every time I used drugs, one little time, I was killing my personality, my life. And digging this grave with a spoon found experience and helped me eventually become sober. And um, when I realized that just doing this, oh, I'm just going to do it this weekend, oh, I'm, that I was actually killing part of my life every time I did these. And because um, I, I don't do things, I don't use drugs or drink like a normal person. If I do it, I, it's bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Things don't go well. Amazing. That is an amazing story. I cannot believe that they made you dig a grave at a treatment center, a spoonful at a time. That is crazy to me. A spoonful at a time. God. 
that's a really good treatment because it like really teaches you like that you're, you know, cutting away your life. You know, I wrote this film. I'm a sober alcoholic. So I wrote the film initially as a metaphor for addiction. And like, I was like thinking how cool it would be if I could make a horror film that kind of was all about alcoholism and sort of the hole you fall in. Cause I've, I've fallen in that hole and Tom's fallen in that hole. And um, I have 10 years, of no drinking, but um, my life was, you know, really bad. And um, the, the spoonful is amazing. Like to think about yeah. digging. Cause that's actually super accurate. Like that's what you're doing to your life. <laughs> Here's what you do with your life. It was the most effective thing. I've, I went to treatment 14 times, as you know. Wow. It was the most effective thing I ever did in treatment. Because any wow. talk was the actual physical digging outside of my window in my room. Of, and when it hit me, what I was doing when every time I used, I didn't want to use anymore. Yeah. And I was my life killed. <clears throat> That's like so pragmatic and so like hands on, you know, literally yeah. hands on. There are some real, real wizards out there in the recovery recovery community. And she was one of them. Yeah. I uh, I cannot say enough about good mental health treatment health. I uh, uh, this isn't about me, obviously, but I personally it was chronic depression for most of my life and didn't get treated until I was thirty. And wasn't even aware. I, I mean, I, I knew there were issues and I murdered a couple of really good relationships along the way. Um, and, uh, but I, I had a really, really good doctor. And I think just talking to this mental health thing we're talking about, just having this dialogue is so, is so important. So many people are suffering. I was suffering from totally. depression life and did not know that my drug use was masking a depression that I felt since I was a teenager and I had become accustomed to this was how I, this was how I mitigated. Yeah. And, yeah um, I, uh, I, I never got to the point where I would call myself an alcoholic. I don't really have a, never developed a, but I, there were times when I was sitting on the lip of the bottle mm-hmm. where to be, if, if it had gotten a little bit further. Um, yeah. So I just, I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very glad I got treatment. Um, I'm very, very That's glad amazing. I had a doctor to, to help out. That's amazing. And um, this movie you know, deals with um, mental health. I mean, this is the main problem that this woman is having and that he's having are mental health issues. Yeah. They're two, two people that shouldn't meet and two people that definitely shouldn't get, get involved, and they do, as, as people are wanting to do. In, in our lives, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's a trend in, in what is that movie? Uh, Silver Linings Playbook is a, is a yeah. very entertaining movie with, with two, two people, both with mental issues that fit together and make them better. And I'm like, um, that's entertaining, but uh, that's not how it works. Uh, for most people, I think most people, most people, I mean, you know, <laughs> You're you're struggling with your own issues, and and if you can if you can address those, then you can work. You, it's a lot easier for you to interact with other people if you can, if you're comfortable in who you are. Um, yeah, and, of course. Uh, Just getting comfortable in my skin has been an achievement. I, I didn't when it was going to become what it would be. I mean, when I was first told this when I was in my 30s, I was like, "Oh, these people are fucking idiots." I mean, I'm comfortable in my skin. I wasn't. I had to be inebriated to a certain degree to do anything. I just was uncomfortable. I just, and I was born that way. It wasn't, I, I wasn't beaten yeah. up as a childhood. Yeah. I was a kid. I, I liked baseball and went to school. And, um, but something happened in my, my mid-teens that was scary. When I didn't know how to talk about it. It was harrowing. And it was the onset of adulthood and just, I'm depressed. I have a, a disease called depression, and I got to deal with it. <sighs> Using drugs yeah. away. That was how I was dealing with it. Anyway. No, I discovered, a, I discovered how good an actor I was because nobody knew I was depressed. Yeah. yeah I was too. very, very good at, I was very, very good at letting people see the pleasant, happy, you know, I'm fine, but, you know, when they couldn't see me, 
that wasn't okay, that wasn't who I was who I was. So you know, it's 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 an it's a thing. I'm I'm, you know, uh, for as someone who's been a fan of yours, Tom, for for as long as I have, um, and and seeing the fact that you've you've had the struggles that you've had, it's so great to see that you are still going forward and working and still making movies because it this. Being able to still do the things you love and because you love acting. So being able to still do that, being able to have the chance to go out and do that and enjoy it and and not let the things that could get in the way get in the way. It's a minor miracle. It was it was as difficult as it might have appeared. It was. I met the challenge finally. I don't want to start crying because it was myself. I started to doubt whether I could do it because I, it, it, ultimately I was really trying to do it and I was failing and my heart was in the right place and it wasn't happening, but I finally got it. I got there and, um, but I got to keep it. I got, it's a daily deal. And um, so, you know, I take my medication, I go to my meetings and um, I keep it honest and, uh, and, I'm, uh, and I'm better and, and I'm happy for it. Thanks. Those are great. It's um when you when you the good thing and the bad thing about the world we live in is that so much of what people go through is very, very public, whether you want it to be or not. And getting a front row seat to watching other people struggle um, when you're struggling can really be helpful sometimes. But there's yeah. also this sense. There's also this sense of intrusion sometimes, uh, where you're like, you know, so come here. Maybe they'd like to be dealing with this without the public staring at them. And I would have. Yeah, exactly. When you're acting, when you're an actor, when you're when you've got that kind of exposure out in the world, it's really really hard to keep that stuff on a personal level without it being out in the world. So that not everybody can make it through that for for good reasons and bad i mean some people they just choose not to be in the public eye and, and i completely respect that as someone you know you deal with your whatever your your comfort level is um and whatever's right for you but when you have the exposure that you have when you're in the films you've been in when you've got the when you're out there having the kind of career you've had it's really really hard to sit there and go you know people people are going to look at your life um, so I'm glad that you are still, yeah, well, yeah, they're going to judge you. Um, but the fact that you are still doing this, what are you, what's on the horizon for you? Do you have anything that's coming up for yeah. you? Movie called Narco Sub. That's a terrific movie. I, I believe we just wrapped We got shut down for the coronavirus, but we finished, um, just a, a month ago. We've done it for a year virtually called Narco Sub. And, um, I'm, I'm doing a movie called, um, Hang on, what's it called again? Oh, I can't believe I forgot the name of it. Okay, I, got, I have these two babies, my dogs here. I, I got to move. <laughs> oh, it's called Electric Man. It's called Electric Man. <laughs> it's about Jesus Christ coming back, and I play Jesus. He comes back today, and no one believes him, and um, <laughs> they they don't they don't crucify him, but they crucify him, and um, he actually is Jesus, and um, it's really well done. And um, so, Narco saw my Electric Man, and um, and I hope Civil Rights second movie, and I want to star in it. Well, that's the next. That's the question for her. But she's of course dealing with family things because you, you've got the dogs, and she's got the kids. And I'm surprised I've only had the one cat make the appearance here because, oh, oh, cool. <sighs> that's what they she's, do. Greta's a Greta's a person. These <laughs> I have kids too. They're 15 now. My two and sons. They're a nightmare. They're not here right now. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my kids all my kids all grown up. My my kid is thirty. <clears throat> you age yourself. Okay, it's okay. It's so, you gotta get thirty sometime. No, that's I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, hey, thir thirty was when I went into therapy. Um, she started a lot earlier. We 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 caught her. We caught her struggling uh, a lot earlier than that. So we're pleased about that. But um, so when. So there, yeah, there's Sybil back. Hey, Sybil, what are you doing? What's what's next for you? What what what's the plan? I'm in a uh, TV show, two TV shows, and another uh, feature film. So 
I've been pretty active. I'm like ready to shoot some more stuff. Um, coronavirus has slowed things down a little bit. I've been pitching these three projects though. So that's been um, exciting. And um, everyone's falling apart a little bit here. <laughs> Their attention span's pretty small. Well, sure. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. we're, I think we're all, I think we're used to that at this point. I think that er, yeah. early on when everybody was doing the video thing, it was like, oh my goodness, someone's children. And now it's like, are your kids there? Can I see your kids? How are your kids today? You know? <laughs> And depending on yeah. where you are, you know, your kids might be home because school's been shut down. I mean, if, right. You know, and right. Going the house. We're just now getting, Going I think next Going week, a lot Going of, out. a lot of people's kids are going back to school here with the local school systems. So yeah, I know quite a few of my friends who have school age kids are like, um, I love my children, but I'd like them to go away. <laughs> they can oh come back when they're 18. <laughs> This back to school fast enough. <laughs> my, my, my boys are wonderful, but one's six five and one's six four, and they're fifteen. I'm not that tall. I'm five eleven. My four, and um, my mother had a brother six six, and my, my son's Jaden is six five, has a size wow. sixteen foot, and they they've been they've been stuck here with me since March eleventh, and um, it's been murder. 15 year old kids belong in school they belong with each yeah. other they don't yeah. belong with me totally i mean they they don't belong with me all right the back. time yeah <laughs> yeah the uh now that said i don't i don't see my kid anywhere near enough really she doesn't live she, well she lives she lives three states away so that's how it gets how it gets when they grow up you know well listen i listen i i don't see my when, a, when school was in session I didn't see them enough because the mother and I are not together. And um, I, I don't mean to say that they're not, they're not a nightmare. It's just been difficult. They're 15 oh, sure. and they need to be with 15 year olds. They're becoming people now. Yeah. And I feel this, this coronavirus has really been awful. It's been awful for my kids. I mean, this, the schooling alone, their friends can't see each other. And um, this thing can't get over fast enough. It's been tough. Yeah. Well, and and it's, uh, we, I have a lot of friends in the, in the theater world and in the, in the music world here in, in, in the Kansas city area. And of course, none of them are working and, and, you know, the, the livelihoods and the, and the, and the things that are, are, they're passionate about. It's, you can do some of that online. You can do some of that virtually, but having the crowd there, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, act, it's like stage acting, you know, you can't, it's, it's, it's the audience. Acting's an intimate experience with people in the same room mm -hmm. i believe it really yeah. is even the movie you know you're not act it's in a room you watch the movie with the actors in a room and it's it's a it's a flesh to flesh experience and um we're not getting a chance to do it and hopefully this will be over soon i hope so well let's see hopefully the the vaccine roll out and get us all back into movie theaters and theaters and news and life yeah i mean it's I work my day job. I get to work from home, so the, my transition's been relatively mild. But at the same time, um, there's a there's a place here in town that sells really cheap tacos on Saturday nights, and I would love to be able to go down there with my friends and eat really cheap tacos on a Saturday night. And I can't you do will. that right now. <laughs> you will. Oh, I know. You will. Know. We all will. I have to, been a wonderful. It really has been. It's the best one I've done in a long, long time. I want to thank you, Timothy. Um, yeah. I have to go. Um, Me too. So we'll, I know you have to okay. go. I want to thank you. February thank 2nd. you so much. My we have the next thank one. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize the time. Um, okay, okay. So um, I had so much fun. So February 2nd, it's on Amazon, um, all streaming services, Central Park Dark. Check it out. <laughs> thank, thank you, Sybil. So thank much, you, Tom. Tim. Thank you so, okay. so much, everybody, My pleasure. for being here. Thanks, guys. All right, hey, we guys. did it. Woohoo! First one without a babysitter. <laughs> Amazing. It's been okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks again Bye. so much. Well, there was, there was that. <laughs>
That's right. Uh, and folks, we were originally planning to have the, the original plan was 30 minutes. And, and it's always nice when when you get a chance to spend more time talking to folks. And, yeah. you know, I think that uh, um, it's a film. It's a film that, that some people are going to enjoy. Some people aren't. It's OK to like or dislike a thing, but it's definitely worth checking out um, the opportunity, of course, to talk to folks that you have watched and that's one of the cool things about about doing shows like this is that i've you know, i've been watching tom sizemore on screen for decades long, now yeah a long while and and i literally just watched strange days on new year's eve it, it is one of my if you if you if you folks have not seen strange days i encourage you to check it out it's a great film noir science fiction thriller well it was science fiction when when uh it was made but it's uh <laughs> it's kind of turned into so, something else as it's aged has it has it has i mean the technology the technology didn't leap ahead uh to what the movie shows but the but the subject matter and of course it's uh, uh tom sizemore and ray fines and angela bassett uh angela bassett just amazing and wonderful in that movie um uh, but it's a fantastic cast so I, the fact that i get to actually talk to tom sizemore <laughs> It was very hard not to sit there and go, okay, let's talk about, you know, (laughs) this movie, that movie. But it's, you know. Well, in the movie that they're in now currently that we've been talking about, uh, Central Park Dark, we'll just do a little bit of the housekeeping here. The website for the movie, centralparkdark.com, and you see the the movie poster there. It's got uh, a number of stills we showed you earlier. Uh, as things are going on, there's some video clips and uh, some stuff about the cast. Uh, there's Tom, there's Sybil. And it's uh, a cast that's actually full of a lot of uh, faces you recognize. Margaret Reed, you've seen her in a lot of television. She's one of those actresses that you, you're you like, I know her from somewhere. And yeah, you've seen a her a lot on TV. A lot of um, people. And, and, and I see a lot of TV credits. and Everybody's been doing quite a bit of work. Yeah, and one of the things I did not ask, and I and I, I should have, uh, which was talking about the casting process for some of these folks, because I'm imagining that a lot of these folks are New York based, which is of course an incredible talent pool, yeah. and a lot of TV gets shot in the New York upstate area, obviously, uh, and in the city. So having the opportunity to have that talent pool there, um, there's uh, uh, definitely, um, and I. <laughs> I will say that that I we can, I completely understand her audio issues. Um, there's yeah. there's times you can tell, but it's tough. Again, I got a chance to spend a little bit of time in New York. It is not a quiet city. It doesn't matter what time it is. I yeah. I'm a late night walker, and I was out there two or three in the morning walking the downtown New York City, and it was noisy. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Robert in no. the chat says it was a great interview. He's uh, planning to watch the film, so. Uh, kudos to you, sir, and thanks for. I think it's. I think for. That. I think for a, fir- a first feature, um, or at least not. Like I said, she made it. She made one before, but the first one she's out out in the world. Um, uh, it's it's got some rough edges. There's no question, but I think it's it's a it's a worthy effort, and of course, Tom Sizemore is just always fun to watch. Yeah, he's just he he's invested. So, all right, sir. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the lead on that one. You did a I am happy fine to job, and of course uh, tomorrow. Uh, just to remind everyone, a new Tardis sauce at this time, 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. Uh, Tim and uh, whoever else shows up talking about this, the holiday special. Of holiday Dr. special and, and the likely the likely end of, of Jody's run with her third season, like most of the Doctors for the last since the show came back. Yep. And then so. uh, tomorrow night, we have Shauna Terpsick as our guest. She is the costume designer on The Mandalorian. She'll be joining us in the Ranker Pit uh, tomorrow night at 9 Eastern. And then we'll have the week's headlines, event news, updates, and weather uh, on um, Saturday morning during Good Morning Multiverse. So that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I imagine at some point we will talk a little bit about the news that broke today about uh, the writer that just got announced for Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow night, too. So 
Lots of things going on here. So uh, those of you who are uh, listening in a podcast form, if you could rate the episodes, share the links. Those of you who are watching after it's live, you are welcome to leave your comments and thoughts. And, of course, if you want to send us an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com is where you can do that. And we do, of course, invite you, as always, to subscribe to the channel, have your notifications turned on so you know when we put new programs out, which we do almost every day. And we do appreciate all of you for being here, and that's going to do it for us. Tim, thanks very much for being here, sir. My pleasure. And thank you all for being here, and we'll be back later with more here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2021, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.